0: Hello and welcome to World Weekly from the Financial Times. I'm Daniel Dombey. It's the 360 billion euro question. Italian banks' vast pile of non-performing loans amount to a fifth of the country's GDP and many think the sector's woes could be the EU's next big headache after Brexit. Indeed, Italian bank shares have been sliding by a third or more in the wake of Britain's vote last month to leave the EU and ahead of stress tests for the biggest European institutions this month. Already there's much talk about whether the sector needs to be bailed out and how that can fit with EU rules. So what do the banking sector's travails mean for Europe's economic prospects, the future of Italian Prime Minister Matteo Renzi, and the storm for EU is weathering? I'm joined by James Pelletti, the FT's Rome Bureau Chief, and Alex Barker, our Brussels Bureau Chief. James, why are Italian banks so full of bad loans, and what's the economic impact?
1: Well, the main reason is that Italian banks are saddled with this huge, huge mass of bad loans because of the lengthy recession. I mean, Italy suffered essentially a triple-dip recession, which was exacerbated by many of the structural problems and deficiencies in the Italian economic system and the sovereign debt crisis that we saw in 2011-2012. And so many small businesses... Many, even mid-sized businesses, were simply unable to pay their loans. I mean, this is not necessarily like the result of a speculative bubble, as the mortgage crisis was in the US, which was at the root of the financial crisis. This is a slow-burning, gathering storm, which has never been fully resolved. And over time, the bank's balance sheets just filled up with these bad
0: loans. Could you give us a sense of how bad it really is for the sector and the country?
1: Well, it's quite bad. I mean, you know, this is considered one of the main reasons why Italian banks are unable to lend money to small businesses and across the economy, which in turn is having a negative impact on growth. I mean, Italy just returned to a very, very sluggish growth last year after a lengthy recession. And the bad loans are estimated to be worth about 17% of banks' overall loan portfolios, which is much higher than is the case in many other countries. And, And so this has a very
0: detrimental effect on the economy. Alex, why is this such a sensitive issue for Brussels?
2: Well, there's the practical issue, which is that you've got a country that's struggling with its banking sector, that has economic problems, political problems related to that, and obviously that is a concern for everybody. There's then the issue of principle, which is how do you deal with this? Everyone in Brussels and across even some of the Italian government would have said it would have been better to have dealt with these banking problems at an earlier point. But we are where we are, and we're now within a regime that is far tougher in terms of what it allows governments to do to intervene in their banking sectors. And... It's tougher for good reason. The Eurozone decided to move towards a more integrated banking regime, where you had a single supervisor, a single way to wind up failing banks. They were pooling power under the banking union in a way that they'd not done since the creation of the single currency. And all of that was premised on the idea that when banks get into trouble, it's the private creditors that are shouldering the main burden rather than taxpayers and that's the assurance that the Germans and other creditor countries wanted to start involving themselves in a system where eventually they might be standing behind the banks of other countries and Italy looks to solve its banking problems by leaning on the taxpayer and intervening with a big watch of public capital that throws all of those assumptions into question. And it has big
1: political ramifications well beyond Italy's economy.
0: James, what does this mean for Renzi? What does this mean for the prospects for his government?
1: Well, I mean, this crisis could not have come at a worse time for Renzi. When he came into power two years ago, he had very high political standing. His centre-left Democratic Party was way ahead in the polls, and the opposition was divided and virtually incapable of mounting a realistic challenge. Now, as a result of the slow economic recovery, the migration crisis, a string of corruption scandals, he has lost some standing, and the populist five-star movement is now neck and neck in the polls with the Democratic Party. And so Renzi just lost municipal elections in Rome and Turin, two of the biggest, largest cities in Italy, to the Five Star Movement. And the last thing he needed, actually, was for the banking crisis to sort of flare up right now, especially because in October or November, we're expecting a key constitutional reform referendum on which Renzi has actually staked his political future threatening to resign if he loses. So the stakes for Renzi are actually huge.
0: And is it a case of damned if he does, damned if he doesn't, that if there is a bail-in then it will be enormously unpopular if small retail investors are seen to be penalised, but if there isn't, Italy faces some really serious economic problems?
1: Yes, exactly. I don't think there's much of a way where Renzi can come out with a victory here. Most likely there will have to be some kind of A bailout or recapitalization of the banks. And whichever form that takes, it will give ammunition to the opposition, especially the five-star movement, to attack him for protecting the banks in some ways. It would be even worse for him if there is actually a bail-in, which we also expect, given the EU rules. It could involve retail investors. It will probably also involve institutional investors. And that could be damaging as well, especially if retail investors do get hit in some form. We already saw in November some retail investors in four small banks were hit with a bail-in, and that triggered a huge political backlash. So if an even bigger number of retail investors were hit now, it would be even more problematic for him.
0: Alex, James was talking there about a rising populist Eurosceptic force, the Five Star Movement. Can you put this in the broader context of the various problems that Europe is undergoing right now? What is the significance of this for the EU in the big picture?
2: Particularly after the Brexit vote, this is the key area of vulnerability for the Eurozone and the first big political test that they'll be facing in the wake of the kind of disruption after the Brexit vote. So with the Italian banks, you have a question of, do the Eurozone's rules stand up as credible in a time of crisis. This is the first test of the kind of banking regime. And will one of the continent's most important leaders, particularly post-Brexit, one of the three with Francois Hollande and Angela Merkel, will he be able to survive this referendum test in the autumn against one of the most powerful kind of anti-establishment populist movements on the continent? So on those two fronts, this is a vital, vital test. And so the questions of how hard to implement these rules, how much leeway to give Renzi, whether that leeway is actually going to help him in a way, or just delay Italy's problems again, is a real dilemma for all the kind of key policymakers
1: here.
0: And James, where do we go from here? How do you see the weeks ahead before the stress tests and indeed the aftermath of those stress tests?
1: Well, the stress tests are a key date. And the publication will come out on July twenty ninth, and they're a key date not just because they'll give us a sense of the depth of the problem with the Italian banks, the big ones, which will be subject to the test, and we'll know how much capital they will need to raise in addition to what they already have, but also because, according to EU rules, you need a failure of a stress test in order to trigger the conditions for. It's one of the conditions for. Potential estate intervention to help some of these banks, Alex was speaking about this is a key test for whether the rules stand up in a time of crisis. I think in Rome they look at it slightly differently, which is is there going to be a political judgment that Italy needs to be shown some flexibility here, and that's seen as the main test, so will they get what they want, which is the minimum amount of of bail-in of retail or institutional investors possible and the maximum amount of assistance for the banks to solve the problem. And I think it's true what Alex said, which is no matter which shape this takes, it's not necessarily going to solve the entire problem. Ultimately, Italy's bad loans will only be resolved by much higher growth and the implementation of government's reforms in the Italian banking system, which have certainly um, contributed to the problem.
0: And finally, Alex, how will this play in Brussels? Is Renzi able to take advantage of a little bit of a Brexit bend? Is Brussels and Europe's other leaders going to be more accommodating now that they've seen people's anger in the UK referendum?
2: There's been a lot of hype around what's possible under these rules, how tough they are. Italy, politically, is a little isolated on how far they can go in interpreting these rules flexibly. Germany, the chair of the Eurozone, have been very clear that bail-in is not something that's optional. The rules need to be followed. But that said, the rules can be interpreted flexibly. There is some room for manoeuvre, particularly on the implementation of the state aid rules, which curb the use of public money. So if a bank is solvent and a what they call a precautionary capitalization is allowed, then state aid rules are applied, but those would be applied relatively lightly. You'd see junior bondholders only affected and their state kind of converted into equity. The question for Italy in those circumstances are, if bail-in takes place, is that in itself too much for them to digest politically or as a principle, even if you have retail investors compensated. And if that's the case, then their options are far more limited because it would be very hard politically for some other member states and for the European Commission to really hold its head up and say these rules are being followed if there is no bail-in at all. And as an example you can look to Spain in 2012, at the height of the eurozone crisis, the system was under really severe pressure, and there, public money went into the banks to recapitalize and to restructure the system, and bail-in took place. You had more than 13 billion euros of junior bondholders bailed in through that exercise in a time that arguably was far more stressful. And Italy's aversion to that now may well be justified. You could say that this will deliver a jolt to the Italian system that will make bondholders and retail depositors think twice about their holdings, that you could cause a much bigger problem. But if that's the case, it's really an argument about whether Bailin is justified at all and is rolling back three or four years of quite developed policymaking in Brussels.
0: Right. So ultimately, you feel that the rule book may well be the winner on this one.
2: There's definitely a room for compromise, and nobody is going to be deaf to the genuine political issues that this brings about in Italy. But I think there are clearly limits to how far that can go. And tens of billions of public money going into a banking system without any kind of burden sharing with creditors would be a real counter-revolution in terms of how the Eurozone is planning to um, police and and manage and and handle
0: its banks. Well, thank you very much indeed. With that thought of a perhaps unlikely real counter-revolution, that's it for this week. Thank you very much to Alex Barker and James Peliti. Until next week, goodbye.